How are you doing, Alexandra? Great. I'm really excited for season two. Yeah, it's great uh, to um, have such a fantastic lineup. I think we have to keep it secret for a while now, especially uh, that we have a special guest coming um, in February. Um, but this we will... managed to keep Lady Hale a secret for a very, very long time. So yeah. I think we can cope. So it's very, very exciting, uh, the lineup for, for our guests. Um, how? Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, our previous season? Uh, or first season you know what I think a lot of what I mean first of all it was incredibly exciting and I didn't really expect such warm reception from everybody it was I think what started with us just talking on a phone and then going oh maybe we should just start recording it and see what people want to say uh, or you know oh how cool would it be to speak to all these women suddenly turned out to be this massive community. And I don't mean massive as in, you know, we don't have one million followers, but... Yet. <laughs> yes. But it's really nice to see how supportive everybody has been, not just of us, but also of our speakers. And it was maybe on a sadder side, I think this is the sentiment that we shared. One of the shocking revelations that came out was that a lot of our speakers would say that oh, it's the first time that we've been asked about our work as opposed to, you know, just mm -hmm. how we got there. Or, you know, it's the first time that somebody, it's a pleasure to speak with someone who actually read our work. Yeah, I think th this was exactly my impression too, that that's almost the saddest, so to say, aspect that so many speakers felt. It's um, nobody really engages with their uh, work and with the substance of their arguments. And um, I suppose this is not the first time in history that this happens when um, academics and intellectuals feel they not being taken seriously or not being heard. I think in our original teaser for season one, we did mention uh, the Oxford Four. Uh, who felt they couldn't speak up unless there was no man in the room because of the uh, because of the um, they were at war, um, and actually El Elizabeth Anscombe uh, that reminds me of another episode uh, of her life when uh, in 1956 she opposed um, the granting of honorary degree at Oxford to uh, President uh, Truman because of his inv involvement um, in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, bombing. And when she opposed it, she never... She has never been taken seriously. It was considered it was considered a nuisance um, that she that she ad advocated this protest, and of course it went nowhere, um, and no one really heard her. So there are hundreds and hundreds of stories like that where women in academ academia didn't feel they are actually being heard, and and one is willing to engage with the substance of the arguments, um, ethical or moral or uh, legal, that they, they have to offer. Yeah, but you know what? First of all, 
Have you read Metaphysical Animals? Is that where you're getting the stories from? (laughs) Well, I was actually familiar with the story before, uh, but uh, obviously over the summer I had the chance to to, uh, go through some interesting reading, um, Metaphysical Animals being uh, one of them, uh, which is uh, a lovely biographical story of uh, Philippa Foote, um, Iris Murdoch, um, Elizabeth Anscombe, um, and which one I've missed? (laughs) Mary Midgley. Mary Midgley, obviously. Um, uh, which and, is quite uh, ironic that that's the one you missed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she she's she's the most metaphysical animal of them all. She was the most committed to metaphysical philosophy, uh, as opposed to Elizabeth Anscombe, whom was much more interested in analytic uh, or analytical philosophy. So it's it's interesting that I missed that key metaphysical animal. But yeah, this summer reading wise was quite quite fascinating uh, to me. I, I managed to go through uh, much uh, of. Um, Iris Murdoch's uh, work, including her philosophical work on sovereignty of good. This is because I'm working on a paper um, on um, the a paradox uh, of feminist jurisprudence, which uh, takes on um, reflective uh, account of, of, of our podcast, or that, that was the spur for, for the article that I'm currently working on. And the argument there is um, that any attempt to promote female uh, or scholars, female scholarship, paradoxically leads to having them isolated in a certain outsider box of feminist jurisprudence. So you mean labeling and effectively pigeonholing women on the basis of very immutable characteristics as opposed to the work that they are trying to engage with? Yes, so so it's a sad uh, sad uh, observation, really, that um, even our project uh, could be seen as framing uh, women into this kind of strictly narrow feminist box where no one dares to venture into, and um, that made um, I, I think actually feminist scholars themselves feel um, that uh, that they are outsiders in academia. But obviously, our project is 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 aiming to normalize uh, academics in any field. So our argument is women are working in any area of the law, and this podcast is here to give them voice. I think it's interesting because I I've, I look at it almost as doing the feminist scholarship a favor uh, because in a way you don't you admit that this is a very distinct area of philosophy. It's not just a one size fits all you're a woman, therefore you're a feminist legal scholar. Mm-hmm. It's it's drawing these boundaries and creating a category very much along the same along the same lines as you know analytic philosophy, right? More broadly, or philosophy of language. Why can't feminist legal philosophy or feminist legal theory not be of the equal standing to I don't know critical legal theory? Where when you say mm-hmm. those when you say those phrases people know what those labels mean whereas i think that uh, there definitely is this connection to immutable characteristics that that just needs to be revised and needs to be revisited but it was interesting for me thinking back to our first season that a lot of our speakers also admitted that that was the case and i remember i don't remember and I, or, or rather i don't want to say who that was but i remember one of our guests saying uh, off the record that she was when she joined the faculty the faculty was looking for a feminist legal scholar 
And they effectively said to her, oh, yeah, you're, you're going to be doing this now. And she said, well, I'm not a feminist legal scholar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there is an entire stream of scholarship mm-hmm. that, that I, I, I just don't work with or don't work within. Mm-hmm. So I think overall, the feedback that we've got so far, I'm, I'm not sure if you agree, but at least the feedback that I've got so far is that we are doing a lot of good work in highlighting women generally. Yeah, and of course, the the unfortunate thing is that that this label acquired negative connotations. That sometimes you speak of feminist, uh, even feminist scholars themselves um, describe it as feminist ghetto, for example. So, so, so there is this this negative connotation about feminist uh, scholarship, um, and I think um, this shouldn't be. It comes from somewhere. To be honest, it's not simply a matter of of um, perception, uh, or could be a matter of perception uh, and bias. I don't know. It's still it's still to be established. But we need to dismantle this uh, this picture um, of women as being confined to any specific um, narrow area of work, um, or being members of, of some kind of outsider academic community, I think it's it's wrong. And I wonder how much of that is also just tribalism and the idea that you people don't like f- fuzzy edges around mm-hmm. anything. And it's the same, I guess, with practice in academia, uh, that you can't be practicing if you're an academic or if you work in legal theory, you can't be of a practical, pragmatic mind. And this is very... This is a very strange phenomenon. And as you Mm -hmm. said, I don't know if we're going to be able to unpack it in the next five minutes, but it would be interesting to hear from this season's speakers as well about around their thoughts on the subject. Um, And this also brings me to our speakers lineup for this season and including people whose work really quite directly affects how we think about subjects like technology, Mm -hmm. how we think about subjects like know just general digital economy it's interesting you mentioned uh, that field because i'm very excited to see guests from uh, that background or with that background um they are um, very very pragmatic um and i had some uh, conversations with colleagues here at newcastle law school who work in this field and they um observation was um it's surprising that Actually, in technology field, uh, there is a lot of uh, female scholars who are not necessarily feminists, but they unpack uh, a number of philosophically relevant issues. So when we think about, I don't know, artificial intelligence and the ethical implications um, of uh, employing artificial intelligence in the legal field, that's automatically a, a metaphysical animal thing. And the question about human agency and the question to what extent the machines can um, replace uh, replace uh, humans or maybe not replace, uh, but supplement, supplement their work. So it's interesting you mentioned artificial intelligence because it's um, every single, as it happens, I work in the field at the moment um, and every single conversation boils down in one way or another to ethics and very philosophical discussions around not just nature of our experience, but also generally nature of reality. I had a very interesting discussion about Nozick's experience machine not too long ago. And it's interesting to see how practitioners have to 
really think hard and they rediscover those philosophical themes that are very familiar to everybody in academia as if they were just written yesterday and it's this, this biggest news of them mm-hmm. all. But in fact, what should happen is we should be working more closely together and more collaboratively. And there are groups who are really getting together to merge practitioners' experience with this very expert academic knowledge, especially on areas including uh, artificial intelligence. Well, uh, I wonder if perhaps philosophy could do some disservice to this area. And it has done some disservice because the expression artificial intelligence, uh, to some extent, was very much promoted and absorbed by the philosophical field. And um, as one of our guests, Professor Saralowski, uh, made it very plain, there is nothing particularly intelligent about artificial intelligence. Sometimes um, those softwares, um, even if uh, ambitious, even if uh, can capable of processing multiple uh, data at the same time, uh, actually lack, uh, lack um, connection to the external world and therefore can never be uh, described as um, as uh, intelligent something that Elon Musk would challenge probably because <laughs> I think he uh, he observed that the in- artificial intelligence is something that we should really be afraid of and it's capable of of, of um, taking over the world I'm not sure how how philosophical you know- that reference <laughs> You know, that's interesting because it's, uh, I think a philosophical method would be very helpful for people having these debates and going back to first principles, agreeing on the definitions, uh, agreeing on a common language, uh, because even the definition of artificial intelligence, when you look at um, Alan Turing Institute's uh, fantastic work on the the glossary uh, for new tech, if everybody even applied this definition, we would be having a completely different conversation because unfortunately at the moment, when we talk about artificial intelligence, there are people who are talking about artificial intelligence now, which is, you know, a lot of the time, just automation, um, natural language, some natural language processing, but you know, it's not robot lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have futurists who are thinking, imagining a future and trying to plan for the future. And those two crowds collide without any agreement on definitions and it just turns into chaos mm. and unfolds into the most erratic, some of the most erratic debates where everybody just gets angry with each other. It's interesting that you've mentioned uh, agreement in language. That's that's a notion uh, first um, or widely uh, pro- adopted by, uh, by Ludwig Wittgenstein, whom we've already mentioned in this podcast on multiple occasions. And I think who, Ludwig, Ludwig Wittgenstein in the context of our podcast is now an honorary woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he wouldn't mind. I think he was always uh, always prepared to challenge uh, boundaries of um, standard um, thinking about reality. Um, uh, he was also confused about his place in the world. Um, so, oh, you mean changing his mind three times on his own on his own argument? Changing <laughs> his mind, changing his mind about um, philosophical arguments, but m- more importantly, uh, fundamental questions about uh, whom he was as a as a human being, how um, whom he identified himself uh, to be. I think. Uh, Wittgenstein is 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 an interesting case in every every respect. Uh, but I've mentioned this ag- this notion of agreement in language. Um, 
Ludwig Wittgenstein emphasized uh, that um, a matter agreement in language uh, is something essentially or fundamentally fluid, not fixed. So you've mentioned that that we should agree on definition. But I think he would have challenged this. He would say he would have said that uh, you can only agree temporarily in a given local context. Yeah, but so that's that... exactly that's all I'm asking for. I'm not talking yeah. about agreeing like a massive glossary that everybody has to adhere from now onwards. It's mm-hmm. more when you are having a debate at a particular point in time in a particular space, mm-hmm. you need to be able to understand what those reference points mean to each other or how they mm. relate to each other, because otherwise you are walking, talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm delighted that uh, our podcast <laughs> is aiming to um, arrive at some common understandings. And this is what we always invite our speakers to do, to explain what do they mean by the terms they employ in their work and um, trying to um, find meaningful uh, point of intersection with with their um, readers um, and those who who uh, converse with them. So it's been a, a constant feature of our podcast, trying to encourage the speakers to 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 explain um, terms of art uh, or their own definitions they employ to um, to our audiences. But let's face it, everybody's favorite part is the five questions that we ask in in the end, where there is a collective sigh of oh. These are so hard. Um, But I was quite surprised with how many of our guests had the same journey to academia and the same journey to law and usually quite Mm non-conventional. Well, it's hardly surprising. We've we've mentioned that in in previous podcasts that, that it seems to be the case that a reflective person wouldn't immediately know their place in the world. So it's a journey, it's it's a collection of um, happy or not so happy coincidences that would lead one to to find their place in the world. And and I think this is this hope I hope this is um instructive to our younger audiences and younger listeners who are still feeling I should now know what I'm going to do with my life and I still don't know. Well, there is nothing wrong about it. The key is to explore opportunities in front of you to your full potential at the time um, and place. And the future will present itself out of those local, um, temporarily um, narrowed opportunities. I think. I think that's that that that's pretty accurate. I don't know what you. So basically, about what it. you're saying is not all who wander are lost. Yes, yes. There unexamined, a... unexamined life is not life worth living. Yeah, we're so just going to keep on proceeding on the quotes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> from the greats. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's really underrated the ability to be comfortable with uncertainty and, as I typically say, just ride the wave. Uh, mm-hmm. Things will come and go. Things will come your way. If you have a five, 10 year plan that you don't, you're not even sure if you actually want to mm-hmm. pursue or if you don't know what your definition of, of happiness is. Oh, back to definitions. Who would have thought? Uh, what your flexible definition of happiness is. Uh, and if you don't engage in this reflective practice of, mm-hmm. oh, what is it that I actually want? Is this what I want? Then you miss out on a lot of opportunities that come your way. 
I Almost. think this this is also true of our podcast. We didn't know where we're going to end up with it and whom we're going to end up engaging with and the wider community we're go- going to engage. Um, I must say that I'm delighted that this idea of intellectual curiosity and journey without a set destination has really been the guiding light of our podcast. And it's it's really fantastic how many people we've met along the way and the community we began to build. And I must also highlight that you have been shortlisted for the Inspirational Women in Law Award this year, which is phenomenal. And a round of applause. Well, thank you. That that's that's a round of of applause for the podcast because really the the the, the nomination and the shortlisting um, was connected to 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 my work and your work uh, on on this Just Theory podcast. Um, and I, I cannot be delighted more about this because this means that we are really reaching wider audiences inside and outside of academia because that award comes from uh, comes from uh, environment that uh, is both academic but also uh, also full of practitioners. So it's fantastic to see uh, our podcasts recognized by um, the next. Uh, 100 years um, of women in law initiative. Perfect. And we will also, we need to include a link to next 100 years because Dana and her team are doing a fantastic work and I can't encourage people enough to go check out their website, go check out what they're doing because it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, And as you said... And we are very excited to attend the awards ceremony because it's (laughs) going to be a great, great uh, event uh, in Clifford Chance offices in London. Um, so I cannot I cannot wait uh, to fantastic night in the most uh, wonderful company, uh, including um, Baroness Hale. I was going to say that I think in the invite, it actually says in brackets that uh, Baroness Hale is going to be there. Uh, so we will join the queue. Hopefully we have some priority queue um, <laughs> spots because of your shortlisting. Uh, but I remember speaking to someone and that every single time Baroness Hale attends any event, there's this like circle automatically forming around her. Um, and it also brings me back to our opportunity to speak with her and what an inspirational person that is. Um, I think we were both a bit starstruck during and I was I was very <laughs> we should add a link on top of this video to to uh Lady Hale's episode because because it's been it's been very very interesting uh chat and we have another special guest as you already mentioned at the beginning coming this season so please stay already tuned. already starstruck <laughs> already starstruck I'm like I'm already <laughs> losing sleep over what that's going to be like uh because we, it's such phenomenal intellect uh, yeah so everyone please stay tuned and uh we cannot wait to see you and so- see uh um, our speakers for the next season and perhaps see you at the award ceremony uh, it's on uh, 1st of november as amelia mentioned at clifford chance uh, we hope to see you there Hi, it's Alexander here. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like our project, have any questions, or would like to recommend a guest or a topic, drop us a line on just.theory.project at gmail.com. 
This season was made possible with the generous funding of Newcastle University. If you like, you can buy us a coffee. Your support will enable us to continue our work. Just Theory. Changing the face of legal theory.